Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Morning campers, or afternoon, or perhaps even evening for some of you, and hello and welcome to the A to Z of Festivals with Rob DeBank podcast. Uh, so it's a new weekly foray into the fun, uh, sometimes a bit crazy and mental, uh, definitely gobsmackingly exciting, it's the world of festivals. So compared to some, uh, step up Mr. Michael Evis at 90, uh, 83, sorry Michael, uh, I'm still a relative newbie, but with 15 years of promoting festivals under my multicoloured caftan, uh, I've been out there and met so many amazing promoters, uh, headliners, tiny bands who might never play a festival again and most importantly of course you lovely lot, the paying public who make it all happen and uh, turn up to the festivals in your droves over each summer. Uh, so one week it might be a megastar headliner talking about their best and worst experiences, falling off the stage, falling down a toilet, I don't know. Uh, often it'll be someone behind the scenes, a promoter, a uh, talent booker, spilling the beans on what it takes to run a festival and really getting the uh, backstage gossip on that. Uh, a rundown on who's playing what stages at your favourite festivals and I'll always try to get you some info, gossip and facts that you might not know about those festivals too. So uh, starting in the best of places for an A to Z of course, with the letter G, why not, it's Glastonbury. dribbling down the carriage windows on my way to Castle Kerry Railway Station. Now, if you're a Glastonbury veteran, you know what that means. You know it is the closest railway station to Glasgow. Um, and after 23-odd Glastonbury appearances, um, not appearances, well, visits as a festival goer and some, some appearances as a DJ, uh, I'm just as excited uh, about getting to Glastonbury Farm. It's kind of like entering the gates of heaven for me going to Burden Farm and the Glastonbury site. Um, I've never seen it kind of in its virgin, pure green form. Uh, it's been a bit snowy, so uh, there might be a bit of snow around, but, um, but yeah, and hopefully a lot um, going on down at the farm. I'm going to be sitting down with the main lady herself, Mrs. Emily Evis, who uh, drives a lot of the Glastonbury uh, ship nowadays with her husband Nick, and uh, hopefully my welcome to the main man himself, Mr. Michael Evis. So yeah, for the G, the A to Z of the festival, to Robbie Bank. It's Glastonbury.
it's the A to Z of festivals with me, Rob DeBank, and I've just been, uh, well, just had my quickest ever entry into Glastonbury and uh, now sat with Emily Evis, the, the lady herself. How are you doing, Emily? Good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Good to have you here, Rob. Well, lovely have to be here. Have you ever been down out of season? I haven't, and it's amazing because there's snow on the hills, so, yeah. you know, I've seen Glastonbury in mud, sunshine, every sort of imaginable weather condition, but but not snow. Exactly, that's the one that we haven't had. So um, people listening, wherever they're listening, uh, are probably wondering why on earth we're talking about festivals on a, on a rainy day, a snowy day even in, in early Feb. But, you know, for us, us festival promoters, this is, this is kind of peak time, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, it's like the, the busy season. It's like the, um, the wasps at the end of summer, you know, when they kind of go a bit like crazy and dizzy and start like passing out in front of you. <laughs> I haven't seen that. <laughs> you know, like you know, when they start going a bit sort of like in September, that's like our time. It's like we've been in this kind of busy, busy period of like booking and everything's just starting to kind of take, you know, concrete plans are taking shape. And, and there's just a few last things to put into place before we unveil the kind of plans for 2019. Wow, exciting. And obviously you, you had a fallow year uh, last year, so probably even more exciting for you guys to, you know, two years, you know, you've got two years of uh, thoughts and excitement inside you. Yeah, and it's always quite a good time a year off for just for people to kind of go away and just come up with some new ideas for their areas and new th- new plans and there's always a sort of like just it's just a natural point for people just to stop and you, you know like when you're involved in an area of a festival it just takes over your life whether you're doing the whole festival or just an area or a stage or whatever and I think it, you need that space to just remove yourself so you can come back in with completely fresh eyes so that's what we're doing we're meeting everyone at the moment and they're all kind of going right this is what I want to do unveiling their kind of ambitious plans I mean, that, that is the thing that I, you don't know about Glastonbury until you've sort of either read the history or know, you know, what your dad and obviously everyone else created with Glastonbury. But it is mm. a sort of a microcosm of lots of different um, people, isn't it? And their mm. sort of um, personalities, some of them stretching back 20, 30, 40 years and some yeah. of them sort of newer. But, you know, most of our festivals are, are one person kind of going, well, this is my vision, this is my creation. But with you guys, it's it's very much a... It's kind of a collective, isn't it? It is really, and there's like hundreds of creative people that we work with, um, and that's what makes it lovely, is that it's kind of not really one vision, it's like hundreds of visions that all kind of get woven in together. Um, so it's really, it's really, um, I th- yeah, it's like one of the things that kind of keeps keeps me really hooked in, you know, and loving this is just the the kind of vast array of people that we work with, you know, that kind of come in and with all this enthusiasm. Um Who, yeah. who's your favourite person when you when you're thinking, okay, we're gonna we're about to meet the uh, meet the team. Who who's the person that you're thinking, yes, I can't wait to hear what they've been up to. Well which area? Yeah. Well, they're all so different. So I had a really good meeting last weekend with the Greenfields, for example. And every year they, you know, they come in and we talk about what, you know, what their kind of green mission is for this year. And that's always just like lovely and kind of quite reassuring in a way because they've been here such a long time and they kind of, you know, they've been singing about those messages and shouting about them for years. And now those messages are kind of being spread out across the whole site and they're kind of more universal green messages. Um, but, you know, we, we, we spend a long time all year 
kind of coming out with these and de- dealing with all these creatives and kind of all these masterminds and it's brilliant I love it so we could spend you know an hour talking about an oak tree and then <laughs> and then like this morning we were talking about getting like you know 10,000 glitter balls anyway so yeah there's this kind of this always interesting this is great you're giving away all, all your secrets for 2019 already <laughs> but then I mean the flip side of that must be that there must be a lot of um kind of uh more boring uh, meeting sadly mm-hmm. you know where you're kind of dealing with and I'm not no 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 disrespect to the to people fencing. who look after the toilets or fencing yeah. or the licensing officer and I just know from doing our, our festivals that you know some of the meetings are, are a lot of fun and creative and a, a lot of the meetings and probably the majority of them are a bit more pedestrian yeah there's a lot of them I quite I mean we've got a really great head of operations called Adrian who's downstairs at the moment and he um you know, I, I, I quite enjoy the detail. So, like, I can get kind of... I can get quite stuck into um, fence lines and roads and crowd management, which we've been dealing with at the moment, which is, you know, it's a massive part of the job, which is, like, working out how to manage that many people through some quite tricky pathways and through essentially like a farm in the middle of Somerset Um, (laughs) so like recreating a city the size of Oxford here in a valley is that that what it is Oxford yeah yeah yeah. you're in charge of Oxford so in Oxford and kind of everything that comes with that the infrastructure the toilets yeah the hand hygiene you know just things like that which kind of which when something like that goes wrong the issues that can come from that are Enormous, you know, could almost like see the whole thing at come to a standstill. Yeah. So everything is obviously all of these things are all important. It's all part of what makes it. I mean, I mean yeah. Fifth, you know, when me and Josie started best of all, then I think we naively thought, right, we've done the kind of blueprint for that. That went really well. We'll mm. never have to change it. You know, we'll come back in ten months and we'll just start again. But like we talked about at the beginning, it's just this twelve month roller coaster where you yeah. literally never get a chance to take your foot off the gas and if you're if you're not you, you have to look at every single area every year don't you and is yeah. that is that the same for Glastonbury that everything is just totally I mean yeah you, you do and and just yeah just it's like there's just constant flow of like crises and um and you get the highs and the lows with each day <laughs> some days it's like oh god how can we possibly you know, deal with this situation that we're kind of like down at, you know, a bit of a dead end. And then suddenly, like, you know, the next day it could just be the most exciting kind of job in the world. And you think, actually, you know, we can solve this. This is fine. Yeah. But, you know, it's um, it's great fun. I, th- I just feel really lucky, to be honest, to be able to do it. And, and I think prob- probably knowing a lot of other promoters in the festival business, we're all so probably a little bit jealous of you because, you know, Glastonbury is the jewel in the crown of, you know, all festivals. It's, the you know, the founding kind of father, mother of, of festivals. And, you know, people like Coachella and whatever, amazing festivals, you know, they pop up and make a big noise. But the bottom line is, you know, that this is this is kind of where, where it all started. And um, so you you sort of got a bit of a leg up, but you still feel that sort of anxiety about releasing your lineup and whether the toilets are in the right place. And that's, that's nice to see, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think maybe, I mean, I think we never take it for granted and like, that's really nice to hear that. But I think when you're in your own bubble, which I'm sure you'll relate to is like, you know, you and you ever see sometimes the kind of 
you know, the shouting from the internet or whatever can get kind of overwhelmingly loud and you have to switch that off in order to focus on running the show. Yeah, well, I'm um, glad that you still do get that because uh, you're not untouchable. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the, it's the old headliner debate, isn't it? It's like one person's Jay-Z is another person's Oasis, one person's mm. Kylie is another person's Dolly Parton. You, yeah, you just yeah. can't, it's, it's impossible and... Probably you can't please people. No, and so do you, do you find that in the twenty first century, where probably when your when your dad in the seventies he might have got some letters saying, oh, I didn't really like Robert Plant or mm. David Bowie, but mm. but now it's like you release it, and I mean we loved what he did with you know Stormzy in the Oxfam shops where you had the poster yeah. announcing the headliner, and you know obviously like with Jay Z, then probably like with Jay Z, then Stormzy's probably divided people as well a, a little bit. Think so. I think everything does. I think. I think we would never not get that division, even if we. I'm trying to think now of someone we could roll out who would be an absolute guaranteed non-divisive act, and I can't think of them. The Beatles. The Stones got sacked off. So it's like too old. Everyone. (laughs) Every act that you can think of in the last. I think Prince was the last one, possibly, who obviously can't play now, but who could have... um, Maybe United. United people, or you'd still have had some some naysayers. Anyway, we're not here to complain about the paying public because they obviously um, come to our festivals and they're the reason we're putting on. And I actually think, I have to say, just while we're on the subject, that I think that the majority of people that actually come don't complain. Like, we found out that one of the petitions that was launched against Kanye was a guy in America who just hates Kanye. <laughs> He's got... Doesn't have a clue about us. And it's like, that was... You know, so it's... I, yeah, I think often they're not... Our, our audience is the best... We think that our audience is the best audience in the world. Yeah, Because, like, the bands just... Everyone says that, you know, they're just incredible. When they come here, they're really a generous crowd. People are nice to each other. It's a really good atmosphere. So... Have you announced your uh, full lineup now? Uh, no. no, we haven't yet. No, we are. It's a work in progress. We're not ready. It's a bit early, isn't it? So it's it's February, and obviously you guys are quite early in the festival calendar. So yeah. I mean, yeah, the beauty of festival was it was in, it was in September, so we had a bit more time. But you, you, I mean, the pressure must be on. Where are you at in a sort of a stress level of one to ten right now? Just waking about three times a night. Right. Don't know, probably... No, it's not that. It's not... We, we're much better now, aren't we, Nick? We, um... Before Christmas, it was all... It's quite dramatic. But, you know, it, like, you go through phases, and now is a good phase, because we're pretty much there with our lineup, um, except, like, pretty much we're 99% of the way. So, so I think, like, that's just the, the end... Going back to the Wasp and I like, we're... You know, we're like, we're all full, everything's falling into place now. So we're like, we've, we've had the busy, the season, the booking season is kind of almost drawing to a close and we can now go into the actual production of the event, which is like, you know, we're going to start building here. We're going to start, the infrastructure side is going to really kick in soon. Yeah. So when I arrived earlier, you and Nick were just jumping in a, in a vehicle to go and site something on site. So it must Mm. be amazing that you, you live where you, where you do your festival because a lot of us do festivals a long way from where we live or, yeah. or, or you know or only see it when we actually get down to the site for the for the build of the festival but it's so nice to see that that you can kind of just oh let's go and put something up at the stone circle and site something so you actually yeah. are you building structures right now we are we're just starting to build um a giant beehive 
which is just on your left as a picture of it. Um, it's um, going into the Greenpeace field. We, you know, we've always done environmental campaigning. We've always kind of had a kind of close relationship with, you know, some charities. But um, but one of the things that we try to do is, is like when people, you know, come here from cities is to sort of like, because it is a rural, it's a really rural setting. And so, you know, to come here and kind of, you know, be able to enter a giant beehive and to learn about the importance of bees within our ecosystem is a really, you know, amazing thing to be able to do. And so, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about the messaging and how we can kind of, you know, open people's eyes and teach them about things and, you know, whatever, or like they can come and explore new avenues of thinking. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So on the infrastructure side, the, ne- the, the kind of the main thing, well, on May the 1st, the fence starts going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there on in, John's here today. He's doing the kind of site traffic. And does the um, fence always go in exactly the same place? Pretty much. Give. I mean, it's yeah, a little bit, a little bit in and out at kind of different points. But like we're just, it's going up, up the hill, slightly more on one side and then down on the other side. But essentially, it's it's the same. You won't notice it. It's yeah. More for us to kind of include some extra crew camping and stuff. Um, so how, how long does that take? We're short of space for camping space, essentially. Are you? Yeah, because, you know, like, not for the public, but for the crew. We have right. an enormous amount of crew. Yeah. So so one of our big challenges is really kind of housing enormous amounts of crew, and because we're fighting to keep as much space as we can for the public. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite unusual to have a site where camping and entertainment areas are all mixed up. I don't think there are many festivals that have that. Um on this scale, anyway. So no, exactly. everything is. I mean, you could go and pitch a tent in the middle of the pyramid stage field, couldn't you, if you wanted to? You could do, although you might be asked to just move <laughs> <laughs> slightly. But there, there's no actual fence line, no, or there's, right. there's no stewards to exactly. stop you. And I mean, the, 
yeah, the first 10 times I came to Glastonbury, we always pitched up in front of the pyramid thinking that was the best place. And then you find yeah. the sort of secret hidden places where it's actually much more chilled out. But um, Yeah, camping under the pylon. I used to do that. It was like, I always went there when I was like about 15 with my mates. <laughs> Why did you gravitate towards a, a noisy electric kind the pool, of source? The pylon. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> That is weird, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was looking at some um, some scary facts on and Wikipedia of all places, but obviously I, um, it, these might be wrong. But, I mean, things like you saying about the massive level of staffing and then it says the sound system's on site have a total power of 650,000 watts, main stage having 250 speakers. Does that sound right? Mm, probably, yeah. Uh, 4,000 toilets, 2,000 long drop. I thought it was 5,000. Okay, but it's in the... In the right area, so that's an, an enormous amount of 1,300 compost toilets and two reservoirs holding 2 million litres of water. So this, yeah. Does this all sound like... Um... Yeah, we've got a huge... It was just up there, the reservoir. Okay. Um, and that's... So we're especially... Well, so this year, like, we're doing a water project. We're trying to ban... Or kind of just ask people to refrain from using single-use plastic bottles, which is quite a kind of large emission. Um, but the the, the, the reservoir, <clears throat> really, you know, is really efficient in running. And, and so we're, we're trying to encourage people to use tap water. Yeah. But we also have water in cans that we're going to be selling. Yeah. So, you've, um, I mean, you've done that for years. That's the thing about Glastonbury when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, you've lent your voice to a few campaigns. I mean, that is understating the huge stuff that your dad and you guys obviously are carrying on with, you know, CND, Greenpeace um, and, the, you know, the water thing. I know a lot of us as other festival promoters and other people are, you know, just getting into it. Some people have been doing it for a decade. You guys have been on it for years and you've always sort of had the standpoints, the water standpoints and encouraged mm. that, haven't you? Yeah, it's a large thing, like tackling these kind of, you know, these messages on this scale. But no, we, we yeah, we, we, we're really, really, like the environmental messaging side is at the heart of what we do. Yeah. So, and so like every day, even this morning, actually I had kind of, you know, a really big kind of session with some people about how we can activate the public more, you know, to really try and get them to take this on, to to, to pick up litter around them, to, you know, to maybe have more pre-erected tents, to have, just to kind of really try and tackle this head on, because we've just, if we can't do it here, then we've got no chance. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the leaders, you need to be uh, <laughs> leading from the front, don't you, on it? So, I mean, it, the tent um, thing because at our festivals you know a lot of people used to say oh well it's all right I'll leave my tent because you're going to send it to um, you know a refugee camp or you're going to use it for this or which is sort of a, a nice way of looking at it and that does occasionally happen but what, what's your message with things like um, tents and uh, camping equipment and your the, recycling and yeah a lot of that stuff you know unfortunately I think very early on, like, I think I was probably like maybe 15 years ago, there was a message that went out by someone, an accidental message that went out about leaving your tents and them going to a refugee camp. And it just like one of those myths that just like just spread and trying to get the message across that that's not actually what happens is really hard. Like once something's out there, it's quite hard to get it back. And so we're saying to people, look, you know, there are a few collection points for charity, which we put in the programme. So if you want to donate your tent, you have to, you know, wrap it up and pack it away and take it to those places. Yeah. Um, totally, but totally intact with everything. Intact, that, yeah. yeah. Um, but it doesn't count if you just leave it in the field. 
Oh, and, you know, (laughs) and there's like air beds and those plastic chairs with the kind of metal legs that, you know, you get the kind of all in one Tesco (laughs) package. Yeah. Other other supermarkets are uh, also. And other supermarkets. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's the problem is it's also available. And so people buy kind of cheap stuff that doesn't necessarily last very long. And there's a whole kind of disposable culture around it. Mm. Um, So you bring it, it lasts for a couple of days and then you just think, oh. I'll leave it. So we're trying to tackle that. But, you know, it's, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing mission. Yeah, it's never never going to solve it. Okay, and, I mean, me and, me and you, Nick, were talking uh, off, off the air before we started about, about family life, about myself in the middle-aged uh, parent bracket, but is, is parenting kind of changed your stance on a lot of this stuff? I mean, obviously, your, your, your mum and dad and everyone involved in the festival kind of bred you in, in that kind of you know, environmental and political and, you know, you, you guys have always had those those leanings, but is, is being a parent changed changed that at all? What, with the festival, you mean? Yeah, just the way that you look at the future of our planet, the yeah, future of I the UK, so. the future of... Hope 100%, like, just, you know, thinking about the number of species that are going to be extinct within 10 years, you know, and then you think about what impact that's going to have on our planet, you know insect population everything is gonna is and it's happening so quickly in front of our eyes i think you can't help but think about what we're leaving for our kids so it's kind of it is a motivating factor to kind of to use this as a platform to communicate some really fundamental ideas and just changes that you can do which will impact positively i think having children does um, we've always been slightly that way, but I think it just really hits hits home, doesn't it, when you have kids? And it's still like oh, the responsibility is so great. And what do your kids um, think about you being the uh, bosses of Glasto? They're a bit young to um, <laughs> to have got into the festival in that way yet. To, the, to them, it's all about the kids' field. Yeah, which is amazing. The kids' field is an incredible part of the festival, but it's not. Um, um, it's like obviously you know you only discover it when you have children <laughs> yeah yeah and i you know even though it's been here my whole life and i remember making badges there when i was like four years old but like now it's like next level entertainment it's incredible i mean it is um, a festival within a festival isn't it it's yeah. like you could literally if you had kids spend your whole time in there and probably people do totally and like you can i think it's the largest free kids festival in europe because like when you come and you bought a ticket you don't need to pay for anything so everything in that field is just free, which is amazing. And Tony, who runs it, is just incredible. Like, you know, he's just like this kind of real passionate guy who's been here for a long time, but it's like always just a joy to work with people that just really care about it all so yeah. much. And I think that's why we're really lucky to have so many people that care so much about those details, you know? Yeah. So we're and like, so... Uh, yeah, the kids' field has been a bit of a revelation. I always knew it was good, but now I'm like, Tony, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, and can you just spent... look after my kids until Monday, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a crash facility? <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing he doesn't do. No, no. So um, you have to be responsible for I think for my dad left one of our kids down there um, <laughs> a couple of years ago. And, and Tony rang and he was like, by the way, I've got, I've got one of your kids. You know, I did say to Michael as he drove off, this isn't a crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As he drove off waving and can't, laughing. Can't really argue with him. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, just getting on to your dad, obviously I've interviewed him a, a bunch of times and um, 
you know, he he's always strikes me as very much he's a, a, a farmer who kind of accidentally stumbled into the world of festivals, you know, in his shorts and wandering around in the snow, even in his shorts now. It's sort of, um, you know, he, his, his passion is obviously for festivals, but also for cows and dairy farms and stuff like that. Are you, are you guys kind of, where, where do you fall on that? You know, because you've obviously got your hair on the farm, but are you... Are we farmers? Are you, but yeah, you're business heads and you you love the, the sort of London booking acts and the glitzy bit, or are you in your wellies all year round kind of um, milking cows? We we go up to London a little bit, but not that much. But we, uh, no, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, my life is here and I'm, I've grown up here. I, I, I lived in London when I was like, at college I went to Goldsmith and I had a few years in London. With me. Did you go to Goldsmith? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did I know that? Um, I don't know. All, all good people went to Goldsmiths. That's amazing. Kate Tempest, Damien Hurst, Josie. That's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my London years, but no, I don't think uh, the whole kind of backstage culture for me is not a massive... I've always avoided dressing rooms and backstages at all costs um, because... It's not really what the show's about, and also being kind of there is what the only thing that we do try to do is actually create an area which is fairly nice, but like not that nice. So you basically leave, <laughs> so you get out. So it's not too comfortable. Yeah. So the idea is that backstage is like is the worst area of the whole, festival, so. <laughs> um, and that you you go there and go, oh, I want to go out, and then you go out and you discover what the festival is about. And that, yeah, so that's our kind of motivation. Because if you if you go to some European festivals or Japanese festivals I've been to, the backstage is unbelievable, isn't it? And it, you know it's like you are treated like a you know the best royalty. VIP ever royalty, and, you, and you'd never want to leave. But I I agree with that. I think UK festivals, rightly or wrongly, have never had that. I mean, obviously, as as, yes, as so promoters, we get we get asked for you know you get you get the rider, don't you? And you get crazy demands. Yeah. Of, I mean, I love Grace Jones's one. You know, it's a bottle of. Well, three bottles of Crystal, a bottle of um, Chanel Number no. Five. Um, you know, obviously still boxed, and then a dozen oysters um, you know, on a, on a silver platter. And uh, brilliant. Have you had some good? Uh... Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. You know what? We hardly ever can provide the things which are on like riders. We things like Fuji water and no no. Uh, which is quite standard, a certain level of champagne. We've kind of got like a, a few suggested champagne levels that, that kind of work with us rather than the kind of 250 quid bottles. Yeah. Um, it's quite a kind of earthing experience, really. And most people go along with it and they kind of go, all right, I'm going to Glasgow. I'm probably not going to get the silver play, the silver tray, the silver service. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and there's a, you know, we, you know, we, we try to accommodate those you know some of the demands but we can't do all of them no because it's just we're of our setting no totally okay is so you know talking about families and stuff is there is there a day of your life do you think where you're not thinking about glastonbury and the festival um no <laughs> i don't think so we're i mean we we like live and breathe it and uh, you know what i'm most just looking forward to just having it back this year because on the year off, like the fallow year, we kind of do so much talking about it and so much kind of sitting and thinking about layouts and crowd management or fence signs or whatever it is. And it's like to just have it back is just is great. And I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, and cool. just to remind you why 
you do it, you know, because it is such a joyous experience. And like when the moments, the gates open, that is like the best, best thing in the world, you know, and that you get that rush of like excitement and you go, this is it, makes it all worthwhile. Although you've got so many crew on site that I'm not, what do you actually notice when the gates open between a... Well, we go and open them. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you literally have got a key and you're like... Yeah. Right, make way, Emily coming through. Well, we we, <laughs> we just lift up the the bolt. Yeah. And my dad does 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 one as well. And then everyone just runs in. <laughs> yeah, stampede of people. It's always, the, I just, yeah, it's one of my favourite moments. I want the best camping pitch. Run for it. And they know where they're going, you know, a lot of people. They're yeah. like, I only camp in the Penals Hill. I only go to Dragon Hall. You know, they just know exactly. Well, they've been planning for two years this time as well. So just on, on the fallow, yeah, just for some of the listeners that maybe um, aren't familiar with, and obviously it's quite a unique thing. I'm sure there may be some other festivals, but what what is the, you know, why why is there a fallow year at Glastonbury? Um, so we have a year off to um, to let the land rest let the farm recover let the village have a break i think sometimes you just need to drop off the radar a bit like we're it's funny sort of situation because we're we're like we don't send press releases out we try not to like overly hype anything um just because when the thing starts rolling but it just rolls and rolls and rolls and it gains momentum and then speed and it like i feel like and we're in the center of it and so we think that it's too much, but sometimes I feel like for the public as well, they just need to not hear about it for a bit and just it's disappear. <laughs> and then you come back and you're like, we're back, it's great. But it can just saturate. Yeah. Something. And is that set? Is it every four years, five years? Five years. Yeah. So it's always the same. But it's my dad's idea. Uh, yeah. And he did it for, I'm not sure when he, in the 70s, there were, I think, only three festivals. So it's probably the 80s where they did... Like a five-year cycle. I love that. In the 70s, there were only three festivals. God, yeah. I hope we can only go back to those days. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's quite, it's a really, really good idea and it just gives everyone a chance to switch off. And Yeah. Okay, well, let's, um, let's talk, um, let's get a bit spiritual for a moment. So, I mean, ley lines, you've got Glastonbury Tour kind of looking down at you here. You've got the Stone Circle on site. Are you guys, um, you know, you, do you feel that? sort of energy whether there is actually something there or or it's um you know part of growing up here um i mean i feel like it's a very special place i probably am more into this side of it than my dad um but you know there is something about it 100 percent. like i you know you just can't deny it like you it's just got a lovely feeling about it the valley you can walk around that valley any time of year and it's got something that's really special about it um the view of the tour, you know, through the valley is just, is, is gorgeous. And um, I think the history of the whole area and the amount of poetry and songs that have been written about it, you know, it's got a, a kind of deep meaning. Yeah. Which connects with a lot of people. No, um, definitely. I mean, and you can see that even on the train on the way down here, a lot, you know, lots of musicians, lots of arty looking people that are, you know, I'm off to Glastonbury and, you know, it's, not, it's nothing to do with the festival at, yeah. at this time of year. It's, you know, they're, they're coming here in a sort of, Pilgrimage. So, if I went out there now, would there be people wandering around with willow branches and? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. Amulets. I and... wouldn't write it out of the question. That's yeah. I wouldn't say no. That yeah. it's quite possible that you could find somebody doing some water dividing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe your dad looking for a new kind of well for the festival. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> maybe. Okay, cool. Let's um hammer through a couple of um 
Emily's secret places, obviously you don't have to reveal them because they're yeah. secrets, but um, best place to camp? Oh, God, I can't go into that. <laughs> that's like a real... Maybe say one that's not actually the best place to camp, but one that people already <laughs> um, know. There are a lot... I mean, all the campsites have different, completely different atmospheres and communities around them. Um, I really like Pennard Hill because it's just... That's a really lovely place to camp, I think. Um, it's a good position, quite near the Greenfields and quite near the park. Um, but it's near Arcadia as well. Um, but, you know, family camping, if you're coming with kids, family camping is amazing. Yeah. OK, cool. I'm gonna, just going to quickly whiz through some um, some years um, and just kind of talk about a couple of little things. So 1984 um, <clears throat> saw the stage invaded by children during the Smith set. Do you know about that one? Yeah. What, 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 why? Um, I think they just um, ran on. I don't think there was any security then. Uh, well, there wasn't any, really. And at that point, the pyramid was like... I always used to think of it as like it was like a kind of big doll's house because you could kind of climb up the front and inside were just these huge telegraph poles and you could kind of swing from one section to another. And it was brilliant, you know, like... <laughs> Health and safety nightmare. Yeah, not now, obviously. But yeah. at that point, so people used to just... And I think one of them said, you know, a few people come up. Like, I can't remember who and who said that, if it was Morrissey or not. But there, certainly there was a massive invasion. <laughs> OK. I'm not um, sure whether it was his best memory, I'm not. No. And that same year, uh, Elvis Costello headlined the last night for almost three hours. Hmm. Didn't get that this... The, um, in These the, days we try and do like two, two and a half, two to two and a half hours. Yeah. Headliner. Okay. Um, 1989, 90. That's when kind of acid house rave culture was kind of invading the whole country a bit, um, in a good way. And um, so you guys, do, do you remember this? The biggest festival yet was held in 1990, and then there was a bit of a punch up between the security and New Age travellers, mm. Battle of Yeoman's Bridge, and you, so. You, your dad, your dad took the decision to take a few years off? Yeah, that was quite a low point. Um, there have been some quite difficult years in the past, but one of them was that year, because there were the riots. So this is like, our house is just here. And, and at that point, I was just looking out the window, and I must have been 10, and there was just, like, burning vehicles just everywhere, and, like, people... Run, charging towards the house with these burning telegraph poles that were just like on fire and they were running towards me. it was quite it was quite terrifying so you were literally in the house and your dad was outside kind of talking to them and he was trying to deal with them um and they were it was quite sort of quite heated yeah and um, what was their beef that they should be allowed on site or they should be allowed to yeah, stay it was uh you know it was a time of transition from then feeling like I suppose they had the right to be there and to stay there. And my dad had always looked after them. He always gave them, like, a spot and facilities and all the rest of it. But um, when he asked, tried to get, you know, to move them on, it was quite hard. Um, and there was a lot of um, t- terrorising, I suppose, of, at that time. And it was quite it was quite daunting. It was quite overwhelming. I, I was, it was the first time that I've really been scared, actually, thinking... And I remember looking at my parents going... Why are you doing this? Do you know what I mean? So you were there 10. There comes a point where it's like, is this fun? You know, and you weigh it up and go, I was 10. And and I, so I went, someone in the house, because at that point our medical facility was in the house and welfare was next to the house. So I, I just, you know, you saw everything. Um, and 
someone went, oh, Emily should go up to my granny's house, which is just at the top of the road. It was then. And so um, someone took me and dropped me up there. And because all of the traffic had to come out that way at that point, I just sat in her window and I just saw like hundreds of ambulances and fire engines just coming in like sirens. And it was, te- I was like, shit, what's going on? And so it was, it was quite a kind of low point because I think at that point, you know, my, it really, my parents made them question, like, what are we, is this going to work? Yeah. Is there a future? But I suppose the thing which is hard to imagine, like, this far in, is that for, at that point, it was just really a year-by-year thing. It was never seen as something that would be even here in five years. Mm. It was always like, let's just try and do it once more. And so, and, and there was a bit of a, I think, a bit of a change in the mid-90s. I think then when, when we kind of started... Like kind of embracing, like, you know, kind of popular culture in a different way as well. Like yeah. bands, everything stepped up a level. Um, and 94 was like, you know, we had everyone from Radiohead to Blur to every, everyone that seemed to be like simmering away at that point was playing. And it was just like this incredible moment. And I think then it kind of changed. So um, was And was 94 not the one where the pyramid stage burnt down a week before the festival? 95, that was. Oh, OK. Yeah. So... Wh- that was sad. Like, so the doll's house, the the telegraph poles that we'd spent, like, years swinging on and, like, having our first fag on and all the rest of it, was... Um, <laughs> was My sister ran into my room at night. It was, like, at four in the morning. It was like, it's... The pyramid's burning. I was like, what? And we just... Drove. I drove down to the field with my parents and we just sat and watched it. It was really sad because oh. it just fell in, like, the size, just cause, and because of the shape of it. You just couldn't... The fire service just couldn't get underneath it. And so it was the worst. There was just nothing they could do was, apart from just put it out, but it, they couldn't save it. So, so we just watched what had it. Ha- what had happened? Uh, the light at the top was too bright. The same... Do you remember there was a fire in Windsor Castle? It was the same year. Yeah. There was, like, a really big fire there that caused by a light bulb and it was the same it was the same strength like wattage or whatever and uh, and it melted the perspex at the top and then it just caught on fire wow so that was sad the end of that pyramid well you've got a you've got a new pyramid and it's yeah yeah we've got a new one the new one's great new lighting engineer (laughs) (laughs) okay we can't um we can't talk to you without obviously talking about the park um so 2007 that was the first year that Yep. You open the park. Um, so you're up to 177,000 people by now. And so you, you designed your own your own area. How did that come about? Did you, did you just sit down with your dad and say, come on, dad, share it out? Yeah, kind of. I was just like, you know what? We should just do an area. We spend all this time talking to all the other areas about what they're doing. Why don't we just do an area like me and Nick? And, and, um, and so and he was like, I suppose you could do. And then he goes, and then he goes. You could try this field over here because this is empty. So we drove up in the middle of January to this field, and which is where the park is now. And I was like, "This, this field, this is like miles away. This is about three miles away from the site." Because <laughs> at that point, there wasn't like any of that section was occupied at all. It was that was within that was outside of the fence line. So we changed the fence line to accommodate the park, and then. Um, now it's become it's a lovely area of the park it's very it's sort of very it's a kind of sunny quite relaxed kind of place which is you know which always has some lovely bands on and it's, oh yeah Mary and Joseph Evis who were the first Evises at Worthy Farm 
who were called Mary and Joseph. I was about to say, yeah, you you making that up. <laughs> Did uh, they have a baby called... So... <laughs> <laughs> they had a little baby uh, called... I don't know why... William. Anyway, so um, my dad's, yeah, great-great-grandparents, they uh, turned up at that farm. So the park was called Park Farm and there was a little farm there. And before they came to Worthy Farm, they ended up there. So my dad sort of told us the story, stood on the hill, and we were like, yeah, this could work. And then we um, created the park. And now it's lovely, the park. Yeah. Do you you go up to the park? Yeah, yeah, I've DJed there, hung out there, often... um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, had a lot of fun in in the park. So, I mean, in, in one of the you know amazing areas of Glasgow. So, are there new new plans for new areas this year? Yeah, not um, not so much like new areas, but like new kind of extensions or like new new things within each area. Yeah, everyone's got one. Like in each area, there's some kind of new twist. Yeah, anything you can unveil? Um, yeah, we're recreating that. The park's gonna have a few changes, but the there's nothing. Um, a You're giving an away extinct uh, puppet procession. An extinct puppet procession. So it's cool. going to be, it's essentially like animals that are going to be extinct in puppet form. If we're not careful. And a procession. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that um, bombshell, then uh, I will thank you so much, Emily and Nick and Michael and everyone in this. Uh, this is my happy place. So it's so, so nice for you to share it with us. And thank oh. you very much for. Uh, giving us a few little scoops and uh, letting us know how, how Glastonbury runs. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.